morning, everybody. Just look at the person next to you and say, it's good to see you this morning. No, you got to talk to him. Come on, look at him next to you and say, it's good to see you this morning. Come on, look at somebody behind you and say, if it wasn't for me. Come on, look at somebody behind you and say, if it wasn't for me. Come on, you got to talk to him. Got to talk to him. Look at him and say, if it wasn't for me, you'd be the best looking person in the building this morning. You... Absolutely. Can we do something real quick? Can we just stand real quick? Can we take a moment and just stand? You're going to be sitting for a little while here, so I don't want you falling asleep before we get through the scriptures. But I want to take a moment. I want to uh, honor your pastor this morning. Uh, pastor Derek, you are a very important man in my life. Uh, my life has become much better because of you being in it and seeing the example that you set as a husband, as a father, as a man of God, as a pastor, and as a leader. I'm humbled to be standing up here this morning, sir, and I greatly appreciate you, and I love you. I know Gateway does, too. Can we just take a moment and give God praise for your pastor and his wife and his family this morning? Absolutely. Absolutely. They're incredible people. While you're on your feet, can you grab your Bible with me this morning? Go with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We have this habit that we do at Victory Church, uh, where I'm from in St. Pete. We have this habit where we like to stand for the reading of God's Word, uh, just to show respect to God's Word. And the movie theater that we meet in has really comfortable seats. And I don't want anybody falling asleep before we get through the Scriptures. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15 we're going to start at verse 45 this morning. My wife, Danielle, sends all her love to everybody. She so wishes she could be here with us this morning. She is getting prettier by the day, and I thank Jesus that he brought her into my life. And all the husbands said amen for their wives. After you get that scripture, why don't you just give somebody a hug real quick? Come on, give them a hug, at least five seconds or more. That makes it a little awkward, but it's all good. Now turn to that person on your other side. How about, that's your second option, by the way, that person on your other side. Why don't you give them a big hug, too? Guys are like, no, we're just going to, if you don't want to hug them, just point. Like, hey, I got you. It's good to see you. Absolutely. Just look at somebody beside you real quick and tell them, I hope you have an incredible week. Now look at that person behind you. That's your second option again. Tell them, same goes for you too. I hope you have an incredible week. Are you in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read a number of verses this morning, and then we're going to let the Spirit of God speak to us through the Word. Amen? Amen? 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 45. I'm reading from the message translation this morning. Uh, the Bible says, we follow this sequence in Scripture. The first Adam received life. The last Adam is a life-giving spirit. Physical life comes first, then spiritual. A firm-based shape from the earth. A final completion coming out of heaven. The first man was made out of earth, and people since then are earthly. The second man was made out of heaven, and people now can be heavenly. In the same way that we've worked from our earthly origins, let's embrace our heavenly ends. I need to emphasize, friends, that our natural earthly lives don't in themselves lead us by their very nature in the kingdom of God. Their very nature is to die. So how could they naturally end up in the life kingdom? 
But let me tell you something wonderful, a mystery I'll probably never fully understand. We're not all going to die, but we are all going to be changed. You hear a blast to end all blasts from a trumpet, and then the same time that you look up and blink your eyes, it's over. On signal from that trumpet from heaven, the dead will be up and out of their graves beyond the reach of death, never to die again. At the same moment and in the same way, we'll all be changed. In the resurrection scheme of things, this has to happen. Everything perishable taken off the shelves and replaced by the imperishable. We're not talking about your baked beans this time, though. This mortal replaced by the immortal. Then the saying will come true, death swallowed up by triumphant life. Who got the last word, O death? O death, who's afraid of you now? In other words, Paul's saying, death, we ain't scared of you. It was sin that made death so frightening, and the law code guilt that gave sin its leverage, its destructive power. But now, in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, and death, are gone. The gift of our master, Jesus Christ. Thank God. And with all this going for us, my dear friends, stand your ground. Just look at somebody next to you and say, stand your ground. Look at somebody else and say, and don't hold back. Look at somebody behind you and say, throw yourselves into the work of the master, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. Can we pray this morning together, friends? Jesus, we absolutely love you. Everything that we're about to do, everything that we're about to communicate, everything that uh, it's about to settle, settle into our hearts and our spirits and in our minds. Uh, we ask that you would use it by your Holy Spirit to transform us into the likeness of the Christ that we say that we serve. Father, I ask that you lift me up above my limited ability that you'd fill my mouth with what it is that you desire to say. I'm just a tool in your hand, so use me just like you did with Moses' rod. Use me just like you did with Elijah's mantle. Use me this morning for your glory, your honor, and your praise. And thank you for helping the Denver Broncos get back to the Super Bowl. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I figured that'd be a good way to end that prayer in Colorado, right? That's cool. That's cool. It's such a privilege to be with you this morning. It's such a privilege to be able to open the Word of God and share what I believe God's laid upon my heart to communicate with you this morning. I can't wait for camp this week. How many are excited about going to camp? Absolutely. I remember being a kid. My life was totally changed. Uh, every year I went to camp, it seemed like every year I went to camp, I got saved again. Absolutely. I was in chronic need of salvation uh, every single year. My parents would be like, yes, we don't see the fruits of repentance yet. Repent again. And so, uh, But it was so cool to be at camp. So I'm excited about hanging out with your teenagers this week, your students, better said, uh, as we get a chance to allow the Holy Spirit to do some crazy things in our life in a really good way. Uh, for those of you who are guests this morning, I just want you to know this is a dynamic church. If I lived in Colorado Springs, I would be parked right here hanging out with you all every single week. You have an amazing pastor here at Gateway, and I encourage you to come back next week so that you can go ahead and hear him speak and hear what God has placed upon his heart for this community. Uh, if nothing else, just know that this man is legit. He's not only a great pastor, but he's an even better husband and father. I greatly appreciate him in my life. I know you will in yours as well. Amen? Amen. Amen. 
So uh, Victory Church, we're doing incredible in St. Petersburg. Uh, we thank you for all of your prayers. Uh, Gateway has been a huge part uh, of our lives, um, not only from the perspective of being prayed for, but your pastor uh, in this church continues to reach out. You have some incredible people here at this church. I mean, every time I turn around, somebody is just as kind and warm with a smile and just as excellent as possible in their service, and our lives have been touched, and Victory's been touched as a result of that as well, and it's really cool. We've just finished our our nine months. Uh, we meet in a the movie theater uh, right in the heart of downtown St. Petersburg, which is a metropolitan city, about 300,000 people. Uh, we meet in the movie theater right in the heart of the city. Uh, we have no idea who's coming in every single week. Uh, it's an incredible stories that happen, uh, some that would want to cause you to throw an uppercut at people every now and then just because they say or do certain things that would cause your flesh to want to rise up. But we thank God for his strength and his grace that helps us to walk in it every day. You say, Pastor, what in the world would ever make you want to throw an uppercut at somebody? Well, there was a guy that cussed my wife out one Sunday. Now you feel my pain, don't you? Yeah, exactly. Go straight street fighter on him right quick. But I thank God that he stepped in, and uh, the cool thing is watching our team uh, just go ahead and love on this person in spite of their shortcoming. Uh, they just rallied around this person. They loved him. They didn't respond. They didn't retaliate. I had one lady in the church. Uh, she came up to me afterwards. She's like, Pastor, he was so close. He, j- he don't know how close he was. I said, I'm so glad you handled it the way you did it. She was like, I know. It was all Jesus. It was all Je-. But he was so close. But he was so close. Uh, so it's so cool. There's a guy in our church. Uh, he's been there for about six months. He's only missed two worship experiences in six months, and that's a huge testimony for him. One week he was sick. The other week is because he had a job interview, and a uh, huge testimony for him because most of his adult life, he's in his early 30s. He's been in and out of jail, in and out of prison, uh, struggling with bad decisions that he's made, uh, but he found Victory Church, and more importantly, he found Jesus at Victory Church, and he's continuing to have his life transformed. He called me one day. He goes, Pastor, uh, I just want you know, I'm so ready to go go back out in the streets and start selling drugs again. He's like, you have no idea how difficult it is. I have no money. I can't seem to get a job interview. I can't seem to find any help. I'm ready to go back out to the streets. He says, but there's only two things holding me. Number one, I feel like God will be totally disappointed with my decision. And number two, I feel like I'm going to let you down. I said, well, let's go with number one. I said, and I'll meet you for breakfast tomorrow so you can see my face so that you and I can hang out and we can encourage one another again. And just to see his growth, uh, that motivates me. That inspires me. I don't really get inspired to go to church just to clap my hands and just to say I showed up to the building that day because how many know going to church don't make you any more of a Christian than going to Taco Bell makes you a chalupa. Exactly, but it's what you get while you're in church, and it's uh, the fellowship with one another, and it's constantly encouraging one another to grow. And so knowing that uh, we exist to create opportunities for people to experience Jesus, that wakes me up in the morning. That gets my juices flowing. That's my Gatorade. That's my coffee. That's what I need to push that extra that extra moment. And so so cool to be a part of what Jesus is doing all throughout the earth in St. Pete and now hanging out with you in Colorado Springs today. So can we give God praise this morning for what he's doing? Absolutely. I've been married almost three years. Someone said, well, your anniversary is not like next week. I said, please don't hate uh, because we're closer to three years than we are to two. So we've been married almost three years now. And in those, three, in those almost three years, I've come to understand something about marriage, that it has got to be one of the greatest sanctifiers that God has placed on this planet. 
It's got to be one of the greatest things that God has placed in our lives that pushes you out of your selfish, self-centered self into a place of being selfless and wanting to give and wanting to show love even when you don't like that person. I know you've never gone there before. I understand. I understand. You're saved, more saved than I am. Pray for me, okay? Pray for me. But it's, it's, an, it's an, amazing, that's an amazing experience. For those of you who are single and, and you desire to be married, let God bring that person into your life. If you're a lady, I just want to encourage you. The Bible says that he that finds a wife, not she that seeketh. So take time, fellas. Do not put out, ask for resumes. And, you know, no, it doesn't work like that. You got to go out. You got to pray. You got to look. You got to ask God for the one that he's got for your life, and he's going to bring her across. Uh, marriage is incredible. I was talking to this guy in the gym the other day, and he was like, man, I was hanging out in the club. I was dancing with these two women the other day. It was amazing. I was like, dude, that's so easy. He was like, it took me like an hour to convince them to dance with me. I was like, dude, that's the easy part. He's like, you want a challenge? Love one woman many different kind of ways for the rest of your life. He's like, I ain't ready for that. I, I, I ain't ready for that. <laughs> he had a cold sweat just came across his face. You know, it takes a man to be married. It takes a woman to be married. And then it takes men and women of God to stay married as well. Amen? And I believe the same God that brings people together is the same God that can keep people together. Amen? I share all that this morning because uh, how many would agree that your honeymoon is incredible? It's probably one of your highlight points for your marriage. Maybe I'm the only one. It's cool. I'm down with that. Uh, but on my honeymoon, I started to realize uh, just how important my role as a leader was in my home. You know, from that, from, from the time that I was born until 26 years down the road before I said I do uh, to Danielle, it was all about me. It was all about what I wanted to eat, what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go, the school I wanted to attend. I mean, it, I know it sounds pretty selfish. Don't judge me. You have your own problems. But it's, it's, it's pretty self-centered. It's all about you. And then when you get married, all of a sudden, now you have someone else's life that you are responsible for. And that's a game changer. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't really nervous about remembering my vows on the wedding day as much as I was. This woman is taking my last name, and I'm responsible for her. Jesus, help me. I don't want her dad chasing after me, you know what I'm saying? It just, it just it changes your perspective about love and life all together at the same time. But yet it brings across moments in your life where you really get a more defined perspective about God and what he means as the leader of your life. My wife and I, are we're uh, very much alike in a number of different areas, but uh, any married couple will tell you that even as much alike as you are, you still are very, very different. Uh, my wife is very organized. She's a masterful administrator. She worked as a human resources manager for five years, managing 200 employees. I've never seen 200 employees before, and she managed them, and I mean, it's incredible some of the things that she was able to accomplish. Uh, so she's very organized. She's very uh, uh, regimented. She has these certain things that she goes through. Me, on the other hand, I am extremely spontaneous. I will drop things at the drop of a dime and go do something else. I would, I would love to jump on a plane, go to New York City, fly back, uh, you know, later on that night after shopping, hanging out, walking the streets all day, you know, 
I don't have to plan it. I don't have to put it in my iPad. I'm just spontaneous. I like to do that. My wife, on the other hand, she is very regimented. So she wants to know how much that plane ticket is going to cost. What's the best day of the week for you to purchase that plane ticket? Who's the best carrier for you to purchase that plane ticket from? How many pieces of luggage will they allow you to carry before they will charge you? That ridiculous overage charge. What does it actually cost them to provide the ticket and provide the luggage cost that day as opposed to what the other airline carrier? Do you get the picture? We also have differences in things that we enjoy to do. I like playing basketball. I like playing football. I like playing softball or baseball. I like doing athletic activities that involve throwing and jumping and running and shooting. My wife, on the other hand, she enjoys sports that put your life in danger. Like rock climbing. You all might enjoy that. I don't get down with that, you know. I, I'd rather sit on the ground eating ice cream, just watching y'all. Hey, <laughs> yeah, it's just, those things don't excite me. She, she likes doing, you know, she wants to go skydiving. I'm like, don't you need a permission slip to be signed by me before you do that, you know? Uh, she, 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 she enjoys um, canoeing and, and kayaking, and so she convinced me on our honeymoon because, um, Husbands will tell you that there's a lot of things that a wife can convince her husband to do, especially on the honeymoon. It's just, you know, you're just on a high, you're enjoying one another, and, and, and she can convince you to do certain things. So she convinced me to go kayaking on our honeymoon. And let me tell you something, you have not seen reality TV any funnier than what you would have seen on that day. I'm going to try to walk you piece by piece through that moment of us kayaking in the Caribbean. And uh, uh, it's my first time ever uh, kayaking, my first time ever holding a paddle, uh, my first time doing this venture. And, and for a man, uh, it, even if it's your first time, you want to act like you are an expert. Even if it's your first time, you know, you just, you want to go in. And I, so I was trying to pull on everything that I gained from National Geographic and the Crocodile Hunter. And I don't know why I was pulling from the Crocodile Hunter, but it just made sense to me in the moment. So I was trying to, you know, to pull to, to be an expert in this moment and feel like I knew what I was doing. In actuality, I had no idea what I was doing, but I did not want to let her know that because I was still trying to get over myself because we just got married four days ago. Don't judge me. You understand what I'm saying? So we're, 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 we're rolling out and you should have seen the two of us trying to carry this boat out to the water, and, and she's 5'3", and, and I'm just a little bit taller than 5'3", and so we're trying to carry this boat out to the water, and we finally get it in, and we flip it over and get in the water, and I'll be honest with you, that was good enough for me. I could have went off with the rest of my day right at that moment. But we still hadn't gone kayaking yet. So we get in the boat, and we, we push out from, from, the, from the shoreline, and, and we start getting out into the water, and I'll be honest with you, you know, I'm okay in my own element. You know, I'm okay uh, on beaches in St. Petersburg. Why? Because I grew up there. I know that land. I know that water. I, I, I mean, but when it's in the Caribbean, it's someplace I've never been, I'm a little nervous. If we get to a place where I can't stand and see over the water, we've got a problem. She wants to go out to 12-foot deep waters and, and test, you know, her her excellent skills of kayaking and I'm like no I'd rather go back eat something and find another activity to do anyway she convinced me to stay out so we're kayaking and 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 I didn't know this don't judge me but I didn't know this I see you judging me don't judge me I, I didn't know, I didn't know that you're supposed to one person's supposed to be uh, paddling on one side and the other <laughs> so whatever side she was on 
I was trying to be the expert, remember? I was paddling on the same side, thinking I was doing something. So you're supposed to go straight ahead. Our boat was running wide receiver routes, just going like this, just like we were running away from somebody, you know? And so I, 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 I go, honey, why are we going in a zigzag? We're supposed to go straight ahead. She goes, uh, if you just follow my lead, what I'm trying to tell you to do, I know how to do this. I'm like, why don't you listen to me? Obviously, I'm such an expert at kayaking. But, you know, it's just that power struggle going on. And we're, we're wrestling back and forth. And she's hollering at me, will you just listen to me? Wives, have you ever said that? Don't say that in public, but have you ever said that? So uh, I'm hollering back at her. I'm trying to figure out what to do over here. We're hollering back and forth. We did not cuss at each other. I just want to preface that. But we're hollering back at each other, and it's just hilarious. You're, you're mad, and you're laughing at the same time, and, and then she drops the bomb on me. She says, well, instead of going to the shore, why don't you just push out to the Caribbean? I'm like, honey, how in the world am I supposed to know what direction the Caribbean is in? This is all blue water. How am I supposed to know which way the Caribbean I'm, I'm so confused. I need a prayer meeting. I need intercessors. I need somebody to come anoint me and raise me back up again. I mean, I, I'm so confused. So we get back to the shore. It was only like 15 minutes, but I'm going to tell you, it felt like seven years. <laughs> and after I bowed down on the ground and told the Lord that if you never let me kayak again, I'll stay on the ground and do whatever you want me to do, I felt like God dropped something in my heart. He said, you know how difficult it was for you to let her lead the situation? I said, absolutely. He said, sometimes that's how I feel about you when it comes to me leading your life. I said, whoa, time out. You're getting deep, Jesus. The reality is, is that God being the great father that he is, he knows best. In every situation, in every season, and in every time that we face, he knows best. For some reason, we have the proclivity to look at him and go, hey, I want to try it my way this time. When the creator knows best, the creator knows the direction that we're supposed to go in. Jeremiah even tells us that God says, I know the plans I have concerning you. They're plans for good and not for evil. They're plans to uh, cause you to prosper. And that's not just talking about your money. That's also talking about your relationships and your legacy that you leave to cause you to prosper. Be in good health and have an expected end. So if God himself would say that I know the plan I have for you and it's, it's a good plan, it's a great plan actually, it's a perfect plan for your life, oftentimes you and I like to interject into the situation. And I'll be honest with you, it's, it's really not your fault. Just look at somebody next to you and say, it's not your fault. Come on, look at him saying, it's not your fault. If you want to blame anybody, you ought to blame Adam. When I see Adam, if I ever see Adam... Me and Adam go have a come to Jesus meeting. Because <laughs> I'm like, you messed all this up for all of us. You know, I'm just like, why couldn't you just do what God told you to do? And then Adam used the ultimate cop out because uh, Adam comes along and, and he says, well, God, it wasn't me. It was the woman you gave me. I just, I, sometimes I'm like, you know what, Adam, that was just the dumbest statement you could have said at that moment. But how many know that when you allow yourself to get into sin, sin will make you say and do some really dumb stuff. Maybe I'm the only one that's experienced that before. Adam makes this statement, and it, it, it says to me something very, very interesting. 
Because God's response is now you've broken relationship with me and you and I can no longer have the type of intimacy that we once had because you have introduced your way in where my way was best. You remember that scene at the tree, the knowledge of good and evil? When Eve pulls that apple off the tree and she tastes it. And Adam comes along and sees that Eve has taken a bite of that fruit. And when she takes a bite of that fruit, she does not die. Adam falls for the easiest trick in the book. The easiest trick in the book that oftentimes the enemy brings our direction is that when there are no immediate consequences, we feel like there may not really be any consequences at all. I mean, you and I have gone through this. We've done stuff that our parents still to this day don't know about. And we feel like we've gotten away with it. Or the consequences have been averted or avoided when in actuality they really haven't. Because we're not really living this life for human consequences. We've got to live this life with the perspective of I've got to meet the standard that God desires me to meet by way of his word. Not the standard of culture, because how many times uh, would you and I understand that sometimes culture's standard for living and Christ's standard for living are two opposite standards? And the question is, which one will you allow your life to be led by? A cultural standard where they say, hey, you're doing okay because you've got this, this, and this in order? Or Christ's standard that says, hey, 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 you match up to me. You live the life that I live. You follow my lead. Anything you see me do is stuff that I've only seen my father do. Anything you hear me say is only stuff you've heard my father say. So look and strive and live to be like me. Adam forgets this in the garden. And because Eve doesn't drop dead the moment that she eats that piece of fruit from the apple, Adam figures that it's okay for him to do so as well. He partakes of that fruit. Nothing happens to him immediately as well. Another lie and deception of sin enacted here in Adam's life. God comes along a little bit later, and Adam now feels like he has to hide. Always be cautious when you find yourself in a situation where because of sin you've invited in, it causes you to hide. It's just like a child when they've messed in their diaper. Sometimes they'll run in a corner somewhere because they don't want you to find out what that stinking stuff is. Or when they've written on the wall and they weren't supposed to, and it's in permanent marker and you can't get it off. They know they've done something wrong, so they run and they hide. We had some friends over to our house the other day uh, as me and my wife are starting to gradually catch baby fever, and they have a little baby, and, and, and they brought over their little girl, and she's just the cutest little thing, and that's why I'm just praying that the Lord doesn't send me any daughters because she will have me wrapped around her little finger. You know, Daddy, what do you want, credit cards? <laughs> But she comes over to the house, and, and she's running around. She's having a good time, and, and all of a sudden, we don't hear from her for about 10 seconds. And so mom gets up and goes to find what daughter's doing. Why? Because she knows if you don't hear from that child too much longer, something's going to be broken. <laughs> Oftentimes, that's how God looks at our lives as well. When he doesn't hear from us in a while, he'll send certain things our direction to come find us, to come pull us back to his presence. Why? Because he is more concerned about your future than you are. And he's more desperate to forgive you than you are to be forgiven. 
So I want to encourage you this morning in regards to the temptation sometimes that sin will bring along our paths like what happened with Adam and Eve at the tree of knowledge of, of good and evil. I want to encourage you this morning. At some point, you have got to let, I, can, can, let me say this before I encourage you. I want to just drop this seed, if you will. Since we're talking about fruit and trees, it seems only normal that we drop seeds this morning. The Bible says it's some plant and some water, and it's God that brings forth the increase. So can I do a little planting and watering this morning? So the first seed I want to drop on you this morning and, and drop in your heart this morning is that at some point, your curiosity with sin cannot become greater than your desire to please God. At some point, your desire to please God has got to become greater than your curiosity with sin. We all know the phrase, curiosity killed the cat, and I always celebrate every time I see a dead cat because I hate cats. Sorry, if there are any cat lovers in here, please forgive me ahead of time, okay? Please forgive me. The real reason why I can't stand cats is because I'm allergic to their cat hair, but it always sounds more fun to say you don't like cats. Please forgive me, okay? I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. Curiosity draws us to places, and when we allow our curiosity to lead us into those places, we're really not allowing God to lead us at all. God makes things very clear. God is very direct with us in love, but he speaks the truth in love. Even the statement was made of Jesus in the book of John that he was full of grace and he was full of truth. He's not going to pull any punches with us. He, he, he doesn't string us along and want us just to become curious. He wants us to become sold out and to chase after him. But sin will want to evoke curiosity. Well, I wonder if it's really going to be that bad. I wonder how this would really be. It's like I had a student come up to me the other day, and they asked uh, the question that causes most parents' jaws to drop down to the ground. But uh, as a former youth pastor and now a senior pastor, lead pastor, you, you have to take time uh, to not allow yourself to fall for these kind of things. So they walked up to me. They go, hey, pastor, I want to ask you a question. How far is too far? I said, I got a great answer for you. You ready? They go, yes, yes, I can tell. They're just waiting to formulate in their minds how far too far is so they can push the envelope. Come on, you did the same thing. So uh, in this moment, they say, how far is too far? I go, if you have to ask that question, it's too far. Same thing applies when it comes to sin. If you've got to ask that question, you've gone too far. Oftentimes, you and I take sin and we put it in these different categories, even though Jesus told us not to. We put it on these different levels. But the reality is, is that you and I have to step back for a moment and realize that sin is not just uh, the smoking and, uh, and, sir, and, and drinking and lying and cheating. No, no, no. Uh, sin also has to do with what's going on in your mind. What are the thoughts you think? What are the intentions of your heart? How many of sometimes you can compliment somebody, but you really don't mean it? How many know sometimes you let gossip sneak in? How many know sometimes you're around people and they seem to have your pastor or leaders for lunch? That's what we say. Not really having them for lunch, but chopping them up and just eating them up, talking about them, bad-mouthing them, and saying, I, I just need to get some things off my chest. No, what you really need to do is you need to go talk to Jesus, and then you need to go talk to pastor. Don't talk to me. Uh, sin sneaks in in these, these forms and in these ways. When we don't keep the door shut, that's why God makes a very poignant statement to Cain. He says, Cain, be very careful because sin lies at the door. It's your choice whether or not it's coming in the house. I can tell you, there's been some people at my front door that will never get into my house. Sin has got to be one of those people that you never let in your house. At some point, your desire to please God has got to become greater than your curiosity with sin. 
which leads me to, to take a step a little bit further now. Because the reality is, is that you and I cannot overcome the grip of sin, nor can you and I overcome the temptation of sin all on our own. We are not strong enough for the powers of hell. We are not strong enough for the lure and the whisper and the deceiving, cunning tongue of the enemy. We're not strong enough for that. We'd like to think that we're strong enough for that. But the reality is, is once we begin thinking that, then he's got us right where he wants us. But praise be unto God who sent Jesus Christ. To come and exemplify what it is to live a God-led life. I'm always thankful for Jesus. And I'm really thankful for God sending Jesus because God is that good father. He doesn't say, do as I say and not as I do. He says, do as I say and as I've already shown you as possible to be done. So he sends Jesus on, on our behalf. And Jesus walks through his entire lifetime never committing one sin. Always doing what is pleasing unto God. And I tell you, if there was never a human being that would walk the face of the planet and be perfect like Jesus was, I would really have no hope to be able to live this kind of life. But to know that I can overcome anything and everything that comes my direction because Jesus already overcame it is encouragement today. It's hope. It's confidence. I like to say it like this, Godfidence. Jesus came to this planet, walks on this planet. He exemplifies what it is to live a life that's pleasing unto God. He does so because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why you and I must continually allow ourselves to be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. All of us receive the Holy Spirit upon salvation when we ask for forgiveness of our sins, confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, cleansing us from all unrighteousness. And now that was, which was once dead has now become alive through Christ. The empty vessel that was broken and marred and scarred and torn apart has now been put back together again better than it ever was before and filled with the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is not just relegated to the gifts of the Spirit. Those things are impactful and they're powerful and, and, and they're, they're things that happen in a moment that would cause those who are unbelievers to be drawn to believing in Jesus Christ. It causes moments of exuberant praise and exuberant worship. It causes moments of clarity and direction. It causes amazing things to occur through the gifts of the Spirit. But I want to encourage you this morning that we not get overall all tied up with the gifts of the Spirit and place overall emphasis on the gifts of the Spirit that we forget entirely about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. Oftentimes, the apostles even placed a high emphasis initially on the fruit of the Spirit. Why would they do this? Because the fruit of the Spirit are the very characteristics of Christ. And the very characteristics of Christ are the ones that we are to embody, and it can't be done on our own strength. That's why Jesus came and he died and he rose again, and now we have access to be able to get in, if you will, and to be filled with the Spirit of God, to live out these very characteristics of Christ. The first characteristic of Christ, and not by accident, is actually the foundational fruit, if you will, of all of the nine. That foundational fruit is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8, beloved, let us love one another because love is of God and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. But he or she that loves not knows not God for God is love. So beloved, let us love one another. Love at its very core 
Never seeks to get, but always seeks to give. Never more exemplified than when Jesus did it on his 33 and a half year ministry here on this planet. Everything that he did was compelled by love. There were moments when Jesus was trying to get away to pray. Jesus wanted to get away and and rest for a moment. But he could hear the cries of a mother that needed her daughter to be healed. He he could hear the cries of a father who didn't want to be the abusive father that he'd always been. He wanted to be healed of that. He wanted to be set free. He wanted to be delivered. And Jesus just couldn't say no. Why? Because love had a hold of him. He tells great parables that you can go through the Gospels and read continually of what Jesus does. One of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible, you could quote it probably like you know the back of your hand, John 3.16. For God so loved, I want to stop right there because Jesus had a bad case of the so loves. You ever seen a parent that has the bad case of the so loves? They're that one soccer parent that's got all seven of their kids on the same t-shirt. They're, they're, they're that, that one parent that, I mean, their kid blew their nose by themselves for the first time and we're having a party. They've just got a bad case of the soul loves. Jesus is the same way. He has got such a bad case of the soul loves that there is nothing that you can do to separate you from his love because there was nothing that you could do to earn his love to begin with. Therefore, when he releases that love into your life, oftentimes you and I struggle with this part right here because we don't know how to receive entirely all the time. We struggle with that because we feel like we, we have to deserve something. We, we have to deserve to receive his love. We have to earn it. We have to go through. But salvation does not come by works. It comes by what Jesus has already done. So when I stop operating from the place of what I need to do and begin to operate from the place of what Jesus has already done, whoop, there it is. Jesus is a bad case of the so loves, and he so loves you. I'm reminded of this story in the Gospels when Jesus is in this huge crowd. He's trying to make his way out of the crowd into this man's house to heal his daughter. And while he's being pushed and pushed and battered back and forth, if you will, trying to get through this crowd, there's a woman that reaches out, and the Bible says, Makes, makes very, very clear that she was a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. She'd gone to every doctor and spent everything that she'd had trying to get healed from what it was that she was going through. She could not find any solution possible for 12 years. I'll be honest with you, 12 days sounds like a long time to me. I can't imagine 12 years. Some of you can because you've been walking through and you've had pain and you've gone through difficulty and you've gone through things that would cause the rest of us to stop and cry with you. You know what it's like to experience this type of torture and this type of pain. Not only that, but she was then ostracized from the rest of her family because for a woman that was bleeding for 12 years, you were considered unclean and you could not be around the general community and the general population because you were unclean. So not only was it awful that you were, had this physical affliction, but it got even worse because you couldn't even be around the people that could show you love. This woman sneaks her way into the city one day, gets amongst the crowd. She crawls through, probably on her hands and knees. She reaches up and just happens to grab, the Bible calls it the hem of his garment, probably the bottom of his robe, his cloak. Everybody's touching Jesus, but then he stops for a moment and says, who touched me? And the Bible makes this statement, because when you read the Bible, you got to read the Bible. And Jesus turned around. You say, Pastor, why is that important? 
Because you got to understand, people were touching him left and right all the way around. He was in the middle of a crowd. He was trying to get through. But then this one lady had a certain touch that pulled on his virtue and his power. Dare I even say it, pulled on his heartstrings. He turns around. I just want to encourage you today. I believe Jesus wants to turn around and look at you if you'll reach up and grab him with intent. I believe in some of those situations that you're facing with some of those family members, and it just seems hopeless. And there's a lot of pain that goes around with it. But I believe today, even if you got to crawl on your hands and knees, proverbially speaking, to get to Jesus, I believe he wants to turn around. I believe healing will take place because of the love that Jesus has for humanity. Causes me to drop this second seed in your heart. The second seed is that Jesus doesn't love me because he has to. He likes me because he wants to. I don't know about you. I, I, know, I, I, I really enjoy being loved, but I'll tell you something. I really enjoy being liked. One of the things I enjoy about my wife is when she looks at me, she doesn't just look at me with a look of love, but she really likes me. When she tells me she likes me, it's just as exciting as if she told me she loved me. How much more as exciting should it be when Jesus said, hey, 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 I don't just love you because I have to. I like you because I want to. You've been chosen to be liked. You've been chosen to be liked. Jesus looks at you as the apple of his eye and the apex of his joy. He likes you. Just look at somebody next to you and say, hey, I don't care what you think. Come on, look at him. Come on, look at him. Say, I don't care what you think. Come on, you're looking at me. Look at them. Come on, tell them. I don't care what you think. Jesus likes me. Look at somebody behind you say, mm-hmm, that goes for you too. I like that about Jesus because he likes me just the way that I am, but he loves me too much to leave me the way I came. So when he looks at the woman with the issue of blood, he says, hey, I like you just the way that you are, but I love you too much to leave you just the way you came. Exemplifying love. I, I could go through the rest of the fruit of the Spirit and I could talk about peace I mean, I'll be honest with you, in, in the garden when Jesus uh, got arrested by the Romans, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is when Peter pulls out the knife and chops off that dude's ear. I'm like rooting for Peter at that moment. Yeah, bro, that's my boy. Yeah, I'm a guy. I like that kind of stuff. And then Jesus just busts my little bubble because he has put that sword away. I'm like, Jesus, they're arresting you. I probably would have been Peter at that moment. Like, look, let's go. Let's get it all. Jesus like, put that sword away. Because he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. Exemplifying, Jesus walked in peace even when it would be easier to have confrontation. I'll be honest, I, I, can I confess my sins to you this morning? It's, I'm not going to get too deep, don't worry. I, I enjoy confrontation. I feel like confrontation, if used correctly, can be an adhesive that brings two people or two different situations closer together. However, one of the things I've come to understand about enjoying confrontation is that you have to always keep your heart before the Lord so that you are not seeking confrontation. <laughs> Live in peace. I could go even further when it comes to the fruit of spirit and talk about faithfulness and how even in the garden, Jesus is getting ready to go to Calvary's cross and face all kind of pain and torment, the likes of which you and I would never wish upon our worst enemy. And he, showing his human side at this minute, says, hey, Father, if you could take this cup from me, please do. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Showing he was faithful, faithful, and even more faithful. 
exemplifying the fruit of the Spirit, this faithfulness. I could talk about meekness, which is power under control. He stands in front of Pilate and looks at Pilate, and Pilate gets this pious look on his face and says, I have the power to crucify you or to set you free. And Jesus looks at him and says, you have no power to which you have not already been given. If I was Pilate, I probably would have fainted right there. But Jesus showing his meekness at this moment, his power under control. Letting him know, look, I, I've got the power. Even the enemy realized the power that he had, the, had because the devil says, hey, look, you can call legions of angels to come down, rescue you. But Jesus knew he had to live a life that was pleasing unto God, which means he had to show forth meekness. Self-control, something that all of us are tested in on a continual basis when we're driving through traffic. Something that we're all tested with. Because how many have ever been around that person that can just mash all of your buttons simultaneously? <laughs> it's like Elf. He just gets on there. They get on your life's elevator and just mash all the buttons at the same time. Self-control. It's no accident that love would be the first and self-control would be the last. Because self-control is the, the tie that binds them all together. If the characteristics that I desire to embody are not completed by self-control, then they will be out of my control. And how many know that you better check yourself before you wreck yourself? Jesus embodies the, all of these nine characteristics on this planet. Why does he do this? What does this have to do with 1 Corinthians 15 and all those scriptures you read at the beginning? Great question. I'm glad you asked. Scripture says the first Adam showed up, he was earthly, but the second Adam showed up and he was spiritual. What started at one tree ended at another. What started at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil ended at the cross on Calvary. What, what ended, Pastor? Sin, the grip that it had and held on humanity, shame, guilt, a separation from God in relationship with I no longer have to try to live up to all 613 Mosaic laws because there was one perfect lamb that came. Hebrews tells me, now we enter into the holy place not by the blood of goats and lambs, but by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. What started at one tree ended at another, but I, I dare even say it like this. What ended at one tree started at another. Calvary is... Calvary, as amazing as it is, as important as it is in all of our lives, Calvary is not the climax. Calvary is step one. Calvary is the beginning. I'll be real with you. You and I would have no reason to celebrate and be here today if Christ was still in the tomb. But he's arisen, just like he said. It took Calvary to get to the grave, and it took the grave to get all of this available to you. What ended at one tree, the separation from God, being torn apart from him, never again allowed to get back to that place of Eden. Now the relationship factor came back into play through what Jesus did on the cross. Which leads me to say this, there's nothing that you can ever do to separate you from Jesus. Because he's seen it all. He's been through it all. And he has conquered it all. Paul makes a very poignant statement 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 58. I want to read it so you don't take my word for it. With all this going on, my dear friends, stand your ground. There's a lot of things that are going to come our way that are going to cause us to want to tip or turn or go in a different direction. There are a lot of comments that may come our way from different sources, but I want to encourage you. You go with what God said and nothing more. Don't take away from what God said. No, 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 no. You stand on what God said. Stand your ground. Don't hold back. One of the things that causes you and I as, as believers to not live the life that God truly has, the abundant life that Jesus said he came to provide, one of the things that causes us to do that is the fact that you and I hold back. We don't go 100%. Like we say in sports, we don't go hard in the paint. We, we, we don't go all out for the Lord. Sometimes we hold back. Why? Because we don't want to be disappointed or let down. We, we still see God like one of us. No matter how much you love somebody, they're going to let you down eventually. They're going to disappoint you. They're going to hurt you. But we can't see God that way. We have got to see God as the loving father that he is. Sometimes that's difficult. Why? Because not all of us had great relationships with our dads on the earthly level. And I live in a city where 60% of the homes in our city are single-parent homes. 80% of that 60% are single-parent moms. So there's a lot of hurting men that come into our church. They don't want to hear anything about God being their father because the only dad that they ever knew either left them, beat them, or never acknowledged them. But if I stand my ground, if I believe the scriptures the way that they say, then I believe that there's nothing that Jesus can't heal. There's nothing Jesus can't overcome. There's nothing that you won't be able to get through because of Jesus. Amen? Stand your ground. Don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the master. Confident, 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 confident. I like to say Godfident. Because my confidence is in God that nothing you do for him is a waste of time. Nothing you do for him is a waste of time. Third seed I want to drop in your heart today through the word. My hope and confidence is not built on something but someone. My hope. How can you smile through the tears? Because my hope isn't built on anything that you can put your hands on. How can you, how can you be joyful in the midst of heartache? Because my hope isn't built on something I can see. How, how can you outlast what everyone else has been overcome by? Because my hope is not built on something that you can see or put your hands on. My, my hope is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and righteousness. My hope, my confidence. How can you walk with your head held high when it seems to be your testimony has been blown? It's not easy, but it's possible because Jesus forgives me. And if he forgives me, he'll work on everyone else's heart. Last thing I want to say today, 
my favorite job, one of my favorite jobs I ever had before becoming a pastor, because being a pastor is my dream job. It's, it's incredible. Being able to see people's lives transformed on a day-in, day-out basis, it doesn't get any better than that. It's worth the struggle. It's worth the pain. It's worth the hurt. It's worth the tears. It's worth it all. See people's lives transformed. But I had one job that was my favorite job before I became a pastor, and that job was uh, I was a lead, not a lead, I was a retail consultant, excuse me, for a, a cell phone company. And uh, it brought me a lot of joy on a continual basis because people would come in, and you get a chance to interact with them. I don't know if you could tell I'm a people person. I love being around people, even though I'm quiet and shy. <laughs> so being able to interact with them and have a good time and when they need help to be able to help meet that need, I'd get a kick out because it was that time frame where we were transitioning away from flip phones. If you still have a flip phone, don't get under condemnation. You're cool. We accept you just the way you are. They come in with flip phones and, and they'd, they'd want to, they, 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 their phone was like eight years old. <laughs> and it, some piece of it broke and they'd want a replacement part. And we'd have to tell them, ma'am, they stopped making parts for that phone. And I never want to tell them how long ago they stopped making those parts, but eventually they'd ask, how long ago did this happen? <laughs> I was like, six years ago. <laughs> so then we, we'd, we'd be trained to present them with the option to upgrade. Many of them didn't want the upgrade. I like my phone. Even though you're laughing at me, I like my phone. I, I, I enjoy it. It's easy to use. I just talk and text. So I understand, but, but you're going to have to upgrade because times have changed. Something new is available. Something better is available. I, I want to end with this this morning. Can I encourage you? Now, there's an upgrade that's available for you today. That upgrade is available to the Holy Spirit of the living God. That upgrade is to take you from where you are in Christ today to the next level he's calling you to. One of the difficulties about the tree of knowledge wasn't that the tree of knowledge was a bad place, but is that the tree of knowledge was not coupled with understanding. But Proverbs tells me, out of the mouth of God flows wisdom. And from him comes knowledge and understanding. I know a lot of smart people that make a lot of dumb decisions. I, I know a lot of smart people that they just surround themselves with bad advice and bad input because they keep going based upon what they know and not based upon what God says. What God speaks. The upgrade that's available for you, it's not an upgrade that stretches your mental capacity and causes you to know more than you've ever known before. No, the upgrade we speak of, it's an upgrade that pulls you into a deeper relationship with Christ. It pulls you into a deeper love for others. It pulls you into embodying the very characteristics of Christ. It pulls you to a place where it's not your will, but it's his will that's done. His kingdom come. What he desires is what takes place. It's not about me. It's all about him. So I'll leave you with this question today. Is it in you?
The Holy Spirit, that is. Is, is he in you? John tells me this, you'll know a tree by its fruit. If a tree is not bearing fruit, it gets cut down, burned. I'm not here to preach condemnation to anybody, but I am here to help you to see that the way that we know that you're living for Christ is because you embody the very things that Christ stood for. So is it in you? Is the Holy Spirit in you? I want to take a moment, if you wouldn't mind bowing your heads with me, closing your eyes for a second as the worship team comes to join me. I don't want to take for granted that everyone in here has that in them today. So you say, Pastor, this Jesus you're talking about, this Holy Spirit that you're referencing that causes me to be able to embody characteristics that would uplift others and not push others down, that would cause me to be able to live a life that's more pleasing to God than the one that I'm living right now. You say, Pastor, that's me. Everyone's heads bowed. They're investigating their own hearts right now with the Holy Spirit's help. But if you say, Pastor, that's me. I want that Jesus in my life right now. Just raise your hand because I want to know who I'm praying with this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to do something together as a family if we can. As they've raised their hands, can we all stand together? If you've raised your hand, you're praying this prayer because you mean it. And the rest of us are standing because we're in total agreement with the decision that they're making to allow that Holy Spirit to be in them, operating through them this morning. Can you just grab hands with the person standing next to you all across this building? Let's pray together this morning. Very simple prayer. And if we can, let's pray it out loud together. Say, Jesus, I come to you. I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I confess that I have sin. I turn it over to you. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your life. Fill me with your characteristics so that I can bring you glory, honor, and praise with the rest of my life. Jesus, I ask that even as you've spoken to me about the things that you desire to do in my life, the things that you desire to pull out because you desire to put some new seeds in the ground and cause them to come forth in your time and the place that you desire, God, I ask that those same things that you've done in my life, you will so graciously and mercifully do for every life that's under the sound of my voice and every life that's connected to these lives. Raise them up. Keep them. Holy Spirit, bring back to their remembrance everything that you have deposited today for your glory, your honor, and your praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Good word, amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to remain standing and just uh, ask if uh, Pastor... Uh, James would just bring those, some of those buckets up here at the front and you could sow a gift into uh, Pastor Kyle's ministry. Um, you don't have to do it and that's the wonderful thing about the kingdom of God. It's not uh, grudgingly or no, of necessity but with a cheerful heart. So let me read this to you. Uh, Paul the Apostle wrote this uh, in 2 Corinthians. It says, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That's favor, saints. That's favor. Come on now, say amen. Towards you that you always, that's always having all sufficiency 
in all things may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, listen to this, this is God's promise to you. He has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower, we'll go with the fourth seed today, that God has another seed for you, that as you sow, he supplies that seed to the sower, and uh, if you will, bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, while you are enriched in everything. Some things, some things, everything. For all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God, for the administration of this service, not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also an abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof, say that with me, proof. That isn't good enough. Through the proof. You're not going anywhere. It's raining hard outside. You all right? Say that with me. Through the proof. God proves this to you. Listen to this. Through the proof. Find my spot here. (laughs) Many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men and by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for His incredible gift. Amen. So they're up here, just uh, as you will, um, as you mingle on that. If you want to give Pastor Kyle a gift, you can just come up and drop that in the bucket. Otherwise, enjoy some fellowship um, as the rain kind of lightens up on us. Amen. God bless you all.